Well, I am super excited this morning to have Leah Bird with me. She's from the staff of The Landing here in Houston. Would you guys make her feel welcome here this morning? Leah, I know that uh, we've been partnered with you guys for a number of years. A lot of our volunteers have served at The Landing. But for those that are here today that may not know, can you give us a quick overview of the ministry of The Landing? Yes. So The Landing is a faith-based anti-human trafficking organization here in Houston. We have three programs. We have our daytime drop-in center. It's strategically located on a portion of Bissonnette that's known as a hotspot for human trafficking. Um, so we just want to meet these individuals where they are, like Jesus meets us where we are. And so we get to be there to provide resources for them, like food, clothing, hygiene, case management, and therapy. And then our second program is outreach, where we actually get to go out onto Bissonnette or other hot spots in the city and let them know we can be a resource for them. And that's kind of my heart. I actually started as a volunteer doing street outreach. Um, and then our third program is youth advocacy. So if there is a minor, a child in Harris County or the seven surrounding counties that's been identified as a victim of human trafficking, we get to respond. We have 24-7 crisis response and get to walk alongside them on their path and journey of healing. Can you tell us in the beginning when the landing was started why, why there was a need for this in our city? Yeah, so we are eight years old coming up this January. So we've been there um, for eight years and our founders recognized that there was a need for services, victim-centered services with a trauma-informed approach right there in that hot spot on Bissonnette. And so it's a blessing to kind of be a light in, a dark, in the darkness. Um, and so we, we strongly believe that our purpose is to be there and show them we're not afraid to come and join you where you are. I know that part of the mission of the landing is to increase victim identification and to build relationships with those survivors. And I wonder if you can share just some specific ways that that's happening there at the landing. Yes, so victim uh, identification is so important for us because that's a part of empowering, empowerment and empowering them. Um, so. Trust is hard-earned, as you can imagine, and so we really want to connect before we can correct. That's so important. So we build relationships. Um, like I said, we have a trauma-informed approach. We want to show them we care for them. We don't want to re-traumatize you, meet you where you are, let you set your own goals. All of these things that seem so small to us but are so important so that they can rebuild the pathways in their brain that show them they deserve freedom, they deserve to make their own choices. Um, so little things like letting them choose their own snacks. We'll have so many snacks in the drop-in center and it's not just all Oreos or all goldfish. Really those small things we don't think about or in our boutique, many of you get to donate clothing or hygiene items to our boutique and they come in and get to pick their own outfits, pick their own colors and style, all those things, hygiene items. We don't have just a kit that we hand to them, we let them pick what they need. Little things like that that make the world of a difference to show them and give them that taste of what that independence and decision-making feels like. So how could our volunteers plug in to help you guys? Yes, so we do have that boutique. We have needs for gently used clothing, hygiene items. We have an Amazon wish list. And if you have a heart to serve, we love volunteers. You can come and start off sorting donations in our boutique, or if you want to engage more with our survivors, you can work at our front desk. Just be a welcoming face, a smile, or you can come and host a meal at lunchtime. We love, love when people do that because it shows them that you're gonna take time out of your day, you're not paid to be here, you're gonna bring food and serve it to them. It means a lot, and then the more you come to, it's so sweet, they'll get to know you and see. These people care about us. Um, they're strangers, they weren't afraid to come here, see us and be with us and spend time with us, and that helps a lot on anyone's healing, as you can imagine, just to build that trust, build those relationships, show them that we're here for them. I wonder if there's any particular story of life change that you've seen this year that you could share with us today. Absolutely, one I have in mind is we have a 10-week program. It's one of the most, or it is the most intense program we have called our Empowerment Program. And 
Everything else is opt-in, but this one's kind of a commitment. And at the end, they get to have a mock interview with our CEO. We have a graduation ceremony, and then they get a $1,500 scholarship that can go towards education or a business. And so one of our graduates, uh, two cohorts ago, I believe, has started her own business um, with the seed money from this program. And so she was equipped, she had a resume, got to do an interview, get clothing needed for interviews and for her business. And she's now so successful, she has a cleaning business and she cleans Airbnbs. Um, and now she's hoping, her goal is to now hire on other survivors to help in her business. And she gets to come back and give a speech and inspire other individuals that have graduated. So she gets to come back every graduation ceremony and just inspire and be a mentor to others. And she, she is a pillar. Um, and to kind of see her realize her own strengths and worth is so beautiful. That's amazing. I love yes. hearing that story and hearing how she's even passing along what she's learned and what she's benefited to help other survivors. So that's yes. really cool. Where do you guys hope to see the landing 10 years from now? Gosh, um, I think ideally our prayer would be that the landing wouldn't have to exist, that um, this issue of human trafficking and, and the evil that's out there would go away. Um, but I think it's more realistic to say that we hope in 10 years to be spreading more awareness about the cause, um, welcome our doors to more and more people as possible, um, and just be, be Jesus to them in that moment and make earth look a little more like heaven uh, there on Vicinet in Southwest Houston. I want you to know when the days are hard and things seem impossible that you have a faith family here that's committed to praying for you guys and supporting you guys. And I wonder if you would allow us the honor of praying for you this morning. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Lord, we are so grateful for the work that the landing is doing here in our city. We're grateful for Leah, for her team, for those you have called to come and to help bring um, just light to this darkness, to help bring relief to those that are suffering and have been victimized. And God, we pray, like Leah said, that 10 years from now, this ministry won't even be needed because you will have completely defeated this evil in our society. But God, in the meantime, we pray that you would give them strength, that you would give them protection, that you would give them wisdom and perseverance, and that you would use the ministry of the landing to bring new life and hope and light into places that seem so hopeless. And God, we pray for your protection of them, of all their volunteers that go out on the streets, and um, that you would just expand and multiply the ministry that they've been doing, and you would bring um, just your goodness to this place. And God, we thank you for what you're gonna do. Thank you for allowing Community of Faith to be a part. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here today, Leah. Thank so you for having us. Thank you. It will impact the world. Here's how you can pledge and give your best gift today. Start by taking out your card you received when you came in. First, fill out how much you wanna give today as a one-time donation. Then, how much and how often you would like to pledge as a recurring gift. Total them together and fill out your total best gift pledge. After you fill out your best gift pledge card, you can then easily give online at cof.church give or by texting the word give to 28100. Click the link and follow the prompts by first entering the amount you'd like to give and then choosing the gift type, frequency, and starting date. Click next, enter your phone number, and follow the prompts to either confirm or finish setting up your account and give your best gift to Jesus. If you have any questions or need any help, our volunteers and staff are here to help you. Thank you so much for helping us make kingdom impact all around the world by pledging your best gift to Jesus. Well, good morning, community of faith. It's best gift giving day. How are we doing today? Yeah, you excited? If you're a guest with us today, we're glad you're here. It's not a usual Sunday for us, but it's one of the things that defines us as a church as we've given tens of millions of dollars 
around the globe to make a difference for God's kingdom and what he wants to do to bring, establish his reign, his rule, his justice all over this amazing planet of ours. It's gotten so far from him and the church. Our goal is to bring it back, to bring it back under God's will, under God's control. We won't accomplish that perfectly, but you're making a huge impact. You've changed actually the face of even one of the countries in Africa. Burundi is so different because of what you've done. Well, I wanted to talk to you just a few minutes about that, and then we're going to give our best gift. I'm going to let you come and put that little pledge card up here on the, on the stairs, on the altar, and just commit that to God, that one-time gift and that ongoing pledge that's above our regular tithes and offerings, that all that goes out around the globe. Because church isn't about us as much as it is about the mission that's been given to us. You know, I heard about a guy, he had a, a refrigerator. It was about halfway out his front door. And uh, it was, you know, just like half in, half out. And he's struggling, he's sweating. A neighbor walks by and sees him trying to do that by himself. And he goes, hey, can I help you? And the guy goes, I need help. Thank you so much. I can't believe uh, you're, you're a godsend. And so for 30 minutes, they struggled together, both of them sweating. I mean, the refrigerator didn't budge. It didn't move. And finally, uh, the neighbor said, oh, can we take a break? I mean, I am just exhausted. He said, I don't think we're ever going to get this refrigerator into your house. And the man said, into my house? I'm trying to get it out of my house. So it didn't budge because they had been working at cross purposes. And even though that's kind of a humorous story, I think one of the greatest tragedies of life is if we find ourselves coming to the end of our days and realizing that we've been working at cross purposes with God in our lives. So I want to talk today about how to get on God's agenda, how to get on his purpose. What if we lived our whole lives just to discover that we hadn't been on God's agenda at all. Why is my life so confusing, you might ask? I think it's often because, just like the man with the refrigerator, we find ourselves working at cross purposes with God, working against, actually, what he's trying to do in our life. James, the half-brother of Jesus and the pastor of the first church in the first century, he tells us how to find God's blessing on the things that we do. And it's not by saying, God, here's what I'm going to do. Now bless it, which is what American praying is about most of the time. Here's what I'm getting ready to do. Now, God, put your blessing on it. No, he said, that's not how it works. Listen to what James says. And he, he says this in his little book, James chapter one, verses 22 through 25, he says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. So James is saying it's not enough just to listen to the word of God. We have to obey it, do what it says. Then we'll be blessed in what we do. We have to line up our agenda with God's agenda. And the Bible is real clear that God has an agenda for us. He has a plan for this world. You know, James is saying that the word of God is like a, a, a mirror, kind of a miracle mirror in a sense. It shows us a reflection, not just of our faces, though, of our faith. And when we look into its pages, we can see ourselves the way that God sees us. And he says, if we do it, we'll be blessed in what we do. What do you think it means 
to be blessed. Because I'm not sure that we as Americans sometimes really understand what blessing means. I think we mix it up a lot of times with the American dream, comfort, you know, that, that sense of, uh, of just, you know, being able to lean back in our easy chair and, 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 you know, we have all the material things that we would ever want or need and we can spend it on ourselves. But listen to what James says earlier in that same chapter, James chapter one, verses two and three. He says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds which that sounds like some strange advice to me. Trials come into your life, consider it pure joy. But listen, why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So being blessed, it can't mean that we're never gonna go through difficult times because James says we are gonna go through difficult times. Jesus said we're gonna go through difficult times. We live on a broken planet that's far from what God intended for it to be. When mankind fell, our very first ancestors, and if they hadn't done it, we would have done it, and moved away from God in, a, in rebellion, which is what sin is. It's getting out from under God's agenda for our life. Then the planet was broken, and it's just been this, almost like this snowball effect all the way down to us. Difficult times will come, but it's interesting because the Bible says difficult times might actually be a sign of God's blessing on your life. Look what Peter said, that the, the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, he says this, kind of like he's echoing James, you should greatly rejoice in what is waiting for you, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials. Suffering tests your faith, which is more valuable than gold. Remember that gold, although it is perishable, is tested by fire so that if it is found genuine, you can receive praise, honor, and glory when Jesus, the anointed, our liberating king, is revealed at last. Although you haven't seen Jesus, you still love him. Although you don't yet see him, you do believe in him and celebrate with a joy that is glorious and beyond words. You are receiving the salvation of your souls as the result of your faith. See, God's mirror shows us something that's really important to know. And here's what it shows us. It helps us to understand that trials cannot destroy our faith. I don't know how many times that, that I've heard someone say, you know, he was going strong for God and then that, that trial hit and, and it just destroyed his faith. But what Peter is saying here that trials cannot destroy our faith. Trials only test our faith to see if it's genuine. If it doesn't make it through the fire, if it doesn't make it through the trial, it never was faith at all. In fact, listen to what James says a little later in that first chapter again in James 1.12. Blessed is the one, so again, here's the blessing. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Interesting, right? According to James, only those who really love the Lord Jesus Christ will persevere under trial, under affliction. Those who don't, they just say they love him. So the difficulties, the trials of life, the temptations, the testings are really all about love. But see, here's the thing. I think that the trials, those dark times in our life, they're, they're not tests that prove to God that we love him. Don't you think our all-knowing Lord already knows our heart? He knows if it's real or not. But see, those tests, those trials are to prove to us that our faith is genuine. 
when you look in a mirror, you're looking at your own reflection, right? You're not looking at someone else. You're looking at yourself. And those trials, what they reflect back to us as we get into God's word and we look at that and we persevere under that trial, it shows us if our faith is real. God already knows if it's real or not, but he wants us to know. It would be a, a great tragedy, don't you think, if, if you thought you loved God all your life, but you don't actually love him at all. Jonathan Edwards was one of the great pastors at the founding of this country. And one of the things that he said, let me just read it to you. He said, many of us think we love God when what we really love are his blessings. It's what Jesus was talking about when he told the parable of the, the farmer sowing seed. You remember, he said that this farmer went out, he used to always tell stories, parables. And he was telling the crowd, the farmer went out to sow seed and he sowed some and it landed on the path and the birds came and got it. He sowed some and it landed on rocky ground and, and, and the soil was really thin and it sprouted up. But when the sun came out, it withered and died. And then he talked about some that landed on good soil and, and it produced amazing fruit. Well, the disciples, just like the rest of the people, they were like, Jesus, can you explain that one to us? We don't get it. We don't understand. And listen to what Jesus said about the seed sown on the rocky places as he was explaining it to the disciples. We see it in Matthew 13, 20 and 21. The one sowed, sown with seed on the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy, yet they have no firm root in themselves. It's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately they fall away. Problems, trials, persecutions, they prove if your faith is genuine. I was telling some of you a while back about the water test. Have you heard of the water test? Back about 100 years ago, further back than that, jewelers didn't have all of the modern techniques they have now to see if a diamond was really real. So the main test that they used was the water test. What they would do is they would take a, a pitcher of water or a glass of water and they would put the diamond under the water because even though other stones could look exactly like a diamond when you looked at them with the naked eye when you put them under water they lose all their brilliance if they're not real they don't shine but a diamond will continue to shine if it's real under the water amazing right so ladies the next time you're out at a fancy restaurant and your man gives you a ring, you do the water test right away. You can see if he's real or not, right? You can see what he's giving you. Is it cubic zirconia or is it the real deal? But it's interesting because that's kind of what Jesus is saying, that many people who might be confident that their sparkling faith is real find that under the deep waters of trial and affliction and sorrow, it loses all its brilliance, showing itself to be, in fact, not real, but an imitation. While on the other hand, the true child of God shines as a genuine diamond underneath all the trial. So God's mirror through the trials of life shows your faith to you. Let me just show you a picture of faith because so many times we don't understand. I mean, we think that if someone is blessed by God, then, then their life is perfect. But see, what the Bible really teaches is that this life is like boot camp. God's teaching us something. He's training us in something. And when we get to heaven, that's when our real job begins. That's when we rule and reign with him forever. Did you think that when you died and went to heaven, you were just gonna sit around with angel wings on a cloud and have a harp and just play the harp for a couple of billion years, you know, like, 
boring, right? That's why some people go, I don't even really want to go to heaven. You know, hell sounds funner, you know? Well, let me tell you something. That's not what heaven, heaven is us ruling and reigning with God. And this is boot camp. And sometimes if he's got a big job for you, let's, let's just imagine you get to heaven and he goes, what I want you to do is I've got a plan for you to go and with me, in conjunction with me, because he's still God, not you. You don't become a God, okay? But I want you to go and create a universe and populate it and show them and reflect my glory to them. And I want you, I mean, if he's got a big job for you like that, then don't you think that maybe your boot camp's gonna be a little harder than someone else? You see, all those people that you're looking at and you're going like, man, they must be blessed by God. Maybe their job is just not big in heaven. And so God said, oh yeah, you can just, you, you know, you'll, you'll have it pretty easy here. Maybe the reason why you have so much adversity in your life is because he's got a big job for you when you rule and reign with him. That's why James and Peter, all of them were saying, consider it joy. Think about what's waiting for you. God's got a big job for you. This persecution, this trial, this sorrow, this, you know, why were you born into the family you were born into? You're looking at your mom and dad and go, man, God's got a huge job for me. I don't know, you know. But he knows what he's doing. If you understand that, it kind of flips everything on its head. I want you to hear from Jane's diary. Jane died recently after a prolonged battle with breast cancer. Listen to what she wrote in her journal. After the doctor told me I was dying and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I spent three months on the bathroom floor. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide, where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I've called God a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout on the floor of the bathroom. I'm sad too. I'm starting to see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but I will repeat it until I do. Call me cursed. Call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one God whispers his secrets to. Even on the days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy. I can't really explain it, but God is in there. Even now, I've heard it said that some people just can't see God. I would tell them, look lower. God is on 
the bathroom floor. See, I think Jane is one of God's heroes of faith. I really do. I think that God had a big job for her. And even as she died in her early 30s, that he, she was ready for the job that he had for her to rule and reign with him. God says, I'll meet you in your darkest places. And it's there that your faith has an opportunity to shine. And it's interesting because James goes on to say that genuine faith is accompanied by certain actions. That's how we know. That's what we see in the mirror. Listen to what he says in that same first chapter of James, such a powerful chapter. Verse, chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When James uses the word religion, he's talking about the outward results of an inner reality. He's talking about what others can see. See, we don't get to heaven by being religious. We get to heaven by having a relationship with the living Christ who died for us, who took our place, and we receive what he did for us on the cross, and we step into that. But what others see is our religion. They see the results of what has happened on the inside. Pure and faultless are the opposites of the same thing. It means there's nothing mixed in with it that will lower its quality, that it's real. It's the essential thing. No Botox, no plastic surgery, not Hollywood, not fake. Paul calls it sincere faith. In the beginning of Paul's second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.5, he says this, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. I love that word sincere because when I dug into it, I realized it comes from the Latin sin sera. You know what sin sera means? It means without wax. It comes from a practice in the first century that some of the, the vendors would have in their little shops, they would take broken pottery and they would fill the cracks with wax and they would smooth it all out. Then they would paint over it and it looked like a whole piece of pottery, but it wasn't whole. It had cracks all in it. Just wax just filled the cracks. It was fake. It wasn't whole. It just was pretending to be whole. It was just pretending to be what it looked like because it had wax filling the gaps. And so it was fake. But Paul says, but not you. You're not fake. You're without wax. Seen Sarah, sincere. It's a faith that is whole and real and authentic. And it's proven when you go under trial, when you go under difficulty. There's an axiom that my dad taught me, and it's, it's changed my life because I see it so often not practiced, and I don't want to be one of those people. He said, what we believe, we do. Everything else is just religious talk. And the point is that true faith changes a person's will, changes a person's nature. You're born again. You have new desires. You have a new want to on the inside to follow God's agenda, to be like God. It's an act of interchange that's so powerful it could never be hidden. Think of it this way. When you were born into this world, the Bible says you were born into it a sinner. You already had this sin nature that we inherited. Epigen epigenetics is what psychologists would call it. Could you hide it? No. Did it show? Yes. Was it visible? Yes. How? Through selfish desires, sinful deeds. It's the same when you've been born again and the life of God is in you. Can it be hidden? No. Will it show? Yeah. How? Through spiritual desires, 
and deeds. When we look in God's mirror, we'll look more and more and more like our heavenly father. The psalmist in Psalm 68, five tells us what the true God looks like. Listen, what he says, the true God who inhabits sacred space is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. To really see the sufferings of those who could never repay us. Those who could never give back to us. Makes us a reflection of our father. See, it's the brokenness of life on this broken planet that reveals us to ourselves. It's been said that most of the world's greatest sermons are lived rather than preached. That's why I'm so proud of you, community of faith. You built an orphanage in Costa Rica, and it cost a couple of hundred thousand dollars before we ever built a building for ourselves. I want you to see a picture of one of the young men that came when he was about three years old to our orphanage. He's grown up now. Do you have the picture of Fabricio? There's, oh, here he is in the back. This is Fabricio and his baby. Now, when Fabricio and his sister came to us, they were like little feral animals. They'd been raised in a crack house. They'd seen their father kill their mother with a chain in front of them. And there was really no hope for them. They were just little street kids. But he and Alondra, his sister, grew up in your orphanage. And he wrote the sweetest letter to you. He said, thank you for giving me a true family, for letting me see what family looks like. And now I have a family of my own. We were just in Costa Rica. And it's amazing what your orphanage is doing. They've switched it over now so that it's all girls because hormones were running high before that. But there's 24 little girls in that orphanage. And man, they are so excited to be there. Pulled off the street. They're being adopted out. Their lives being changed. They're learning that there's a God who loves them. That's all because of you. And Fabricio asked Laura to come and and dedicate his little baby to the Lord when we were there. It's such a sweet thing, such a, I mean, just full circle. Well, I wrote this letter to you way back when we first started the church. And I like to read it to you every year just to remind us of who we are. Let me read it to you. My dear community of faith, you look hungry. Hungrier than even anything I've seen in the poverty-stricken countries that I've been to. Because as I watch that tiny Batwa woman in Burundi in the heart of Africa, the woman with no shoes and no husband and seven kids walk up to the front of the church and put a bag of beans into the offering basket as her love offering to God, my heart aches with this raw conviction and I feel it with you, community of faith, what you really want. You're hungry to love God like this. You're hungry to sacrifice, even if it will cost you your Starbucks or your Netflix or your Hulu or your YouTube premium because who can stand to watch all those ads because you, you long for something more. You're hungry for more than vanilla religion and watered down lives. You're famished for more, for hard and holy things, for some real meat in your starved soul, some real dirt under your fingernails, some real sacrifice in your veins, some real Jesus in your blood and in your hands and in your feet. I'm looking into the eyes of all these little African children all these hungry dancing eyes and their teacher saying, you all get to give. It's not just the rich you get to give. You don't wait until you have more before you give to God. You give now so you become more in God. The children are all smiling and singing as they bring their only plantain to Jesus. They just can't help it. They keep breaking into dance. The dust rising up like clouds of praise 
It's not having much that makes you rich. It's the giving much that makes you rich. Give and you are the rich. And I'm sitting under a thatched roof in Africa with the richest in the world. And it's not Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. It's not Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg. And it's not the family with multiple cars, three flat screen televisions and a week at Disneyland. It's a bunch of kids in Africa in ragged t-shirts with flip-flops made out of old tires who have no knives or forks and sleep on dirt floors. It's only the people who give sacrificially who get to live richly. With tears, Laura and I returned from the mission field to America and saw churches who love to play at being Christian more than to actually be Christian and give themselves away for our lost, broken world. But community of faith, that is not us. And I'm standing now in Cyprus, Texas, and there's a church, and it is us, who want hard and holy things because we want more than hollow lives. There's a church, and it is us, who want our children to live the abundant life, even more than the American dream, a life more than selfies and cell phones, more than iPhones and iTunes and iPads and I love. We want them to know the abundant life of loving the least, the lonely, the lost, and of tasting and knowing that the Lord is good. Community of faith, it is time. We are all done with no risk, no sacrifice, no point lives. It is time. It is our time. And our hearts have begun to beat in time with our Father's heart. I am a Jesus follower. I have chosen his dream. I am community of faith. I am community of faith. What I believe, I do. Everything else is just religious talk. Close your eyes for just a moment. We're getting ready to do what our kids showed us the way. It's so amazing to see that your kids are learning already how to give. We're going to come in just a moment as the band comes out and sings over us. And we're going to lay our little cards on the stairs here. Even if you're way up in the, in the risers, you can do that. You can... If you want to just pull your phone out and do the giving online, you can do that. It's okay. It's not about a show. It's about our hearts. What we believe we do. If it's real, it shows. Some of you are going through some deep, dark waters right now. It's hard. I don't make light of it. This broken planet, it's really hard sometimes. And we feel it with you, and Jesus feels it with you. But remember, remember, you're going to rule and reign. As you persevere under trial, as you trust his heart, even when it feels like he's a million miles away, he's teaching you something, he's growing you. Father, let us show ourselves faithful as we give today. Let us show ourselves faithful in our lives. Let us be Christian, not just in words, which is the American tradition, but in all that we do every day. And as we make a difference in the lives of widows, and orphans and little children who are hungry right now and we feed them as we stop sex trafficking here in Houston and in India and around the globe as we teach people in Africa a new trade as our porridge factory gives out those tens of thousands of meals every day so little kids don't die anymore, but they thrive. Thank you for community of faith, for one church, 
who gets it and has become what you dreamed church could be. Pray for everyone in this place that we too would get it, that we would understand. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're about to do in and through us again this year. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's gonna sing. I want you to stand and begin to come down here and put your offering, your pledge card on the altar. If you're not ready to do that yet, that's okay. There's also more cards in the back and you can put them in the little place. Don't leave yet because I've got an announcement for you at the end of the service that's gonna affect all of the future of Community of Faith over these next years. And I'm excited to share it with you. So come and lay your altar, your, your card down. Let's give to God. You can do it on your phone right now if you want to. But this is our time, Community of Faith. The band's gonna sing over us and then I'll come back and share with you something amazing.
Thank you so much, band. Y'all can stay standing because it's just gonna be real quick, but I want you to hear this. You ready? Marco and Karina Monroy have trained up Emilio and Jenny Brito to be our new lead pastors in Cancun. And Marco and Karina are coming back to Houston to be on our staff to share the pastoral load with Laura and me. And they're gonna be with us over these next years. And I am so pumped and so excited. You know them. You're gonna, it's gonna be amazing. They'll be here in January, moving back. So I want you to be excited about that, all right? Yeah, I knew you would be. Our prayer teams are on the sides over here. They're there to pray for you. If you want someone to pray, you come up to them. I love you, community of faith. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for your giving. And be praying for Marco and Karina. I can't wait to see what God has in store for us next year. I love you.